Well, good morning. And good morning to those watching online and across the hall in Traditions and our Ording Valley campus, Sound Life Church in Ording Valley, chiming in with us this morning. And uh, I, I was down there at, in Ording Valley last week at the Sound Life Church there, and it was a great Sunday. I just want to say uh, thank you to Ording Valley for welcoming me. It was a great time, and I just love being with Sound Life Church. It's a great place to be, and I'm encouraged by your worship this morning and by the presence of God. I hope that you are encouraged as well. And we are going to jump into Acts chapter 4 here in a moment, but I want to just kind of put my little pastoral word in and encourage you to be at Pursuit Night tonight. You know, I know that it's another, it's another service on a Sunday, and you know what? I can guarantee you, you will not regret being a part of it. I realize it's a little further drive for some than for others, but man, I, I just think the Holy Spirit moves in moments where, we're, where we pursue him. It's a biblical thought. It's been proven in church history, so be there. The other thing, and I'm just gonna say this, it, it's kind of a little teaser, I guess, so I apologize ahead of time, and you're welcome, but um, there's some exciting things happening at Sound Life Church across all three of our campuses, and I'm going to share some updates uh, this evening that I felt like were meant to be shared tonight as part of our prayer night. I'm also going to share some changes that are coming to Sound Life Church across all three campuses. Does anybody, the minute you hear the word change, you start freaking out? I love you. <laughs> I'll hug you after church, maybe, if, you, if that doesn't freak you out too, but... Um, but I'm not going to tell you until tonight because I felt like some of the changes that are coming, I was, I was supposed to share in a context where we can pray into them, pray over them. We are not meant to change and transform and grow out of our own wisdom or strength, but in the wisdom and strength of God. And so I hope that you'll be there tonight. That's, that's my best commercial for you. And uh, it is going to be the catalyst for some significant change across all three campuses at Sound Life Church. But if you're scared of that, don't be scared. Don't be scared, and you're, you're in good hands because today we're going to talk about how do we handle crisis? How do we face the fear of crisis? How do we actually flourish in the face of fear? And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4 where both Pastor Susie at this campus, Pastor Darren at, at the Ording Valley campus, Pastor Josh out in Eatonville preached this last week, and I, I had the privilege of hearing two of those. One, I was down, and I cheered my way through... Sound Life Church in Ording Valley. I just cheered my way. I loved every minute of it. I loved every minute of being down there. And here's why, because it's a different church than there was there a couple years ago. It's a different church. It's a flourishing church down there in Ording Valley. And I got to experience devotion and growth and mission and family all packaged, packaged into one. And Darren preached the word, except this one part where he cursed the Green Bay Packers in the middle of his message. And I just think it's a good reminder that there is life and death in the power of the tongue because <laughs> they got demolished on Thursday night. So thank you, Pastor Darren, and be careful what you say, okay? Because um, I'll tell you, Seahawks fans, that can work both ways, all right? I'm being nice this morning because I love you. And I'm still dealing with my own pain. But all that to say, I loved it. It was so fun. And then my, the next morning, Monday morning, kind of in my devotional time, I listened to the service here. I listened to Pastor Susie's message here. And, and where I cheered my way through Darren's message, I, I, it was like, it was the weirdest thing. I cried my way through Pastor Susie's. In a good way, not a bad way, not a, like Pastor Susie. It was a good cry. But I, I just, I felt God moving so powerfully in our church. I thought some of the truths were not just truths out in, in some objective setting. They were spoken into the moment. It was powerful, and I'm so grateful for what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, doing in me. He's alive in his church and that's the way that we need to be. We need to be in touch with the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at Acts chapter four today and pick up where they left off with those great messages last week, I wanna remind you of something that they told us coming out of the beginning of a conflict that, that we see in the book of Acts. And it's a conflict that we'll see all the way through the book of Acts to the end of the book of Acts. It's the same people that didn't like Jesus are on to the fact that the same Holy Spirit is moving in his followers early in the book of Acts, and they have brought Peter and John specifically, the leaders of the new church, the leaders of this Christian movement, the leaders of the kingdom of God in this world, they brought them in, they've interrogated them, they have threatened them, they've told them, whatever else you do, do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. 
And I just want to remind you that is always where the battle is fought. It's always fought. It's, there's no, no secret that in, in human history, where whatever culture the gospel has come into, there have been people that have opposed simply the name and the message of Jesus. They've opposed the Bible. They've opposed the gospel of Jesus. Why? Jesus, he does this audacious thing. He claims to be the king. And other wannabe kings never like that. Sometimes we don't like that because we want to be king or queen or whatever you know, authority figure you decide. But Jesus claims to be king. He claims to have the right way of doing things. And he has no problem saying when the rest of us are all wrong, he does it nicely. He does it in the Jesus way, but he sure does it. That's what Peter and John were doing. And true to form, they, they stayed stuck to their guns. They said, hey, we can't stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And we're going to pick up where that conflict left off because there's a few more principles that we want to learn about this. And I, I want you to think in terms of this crisis that they were in. I want you to think about how they handled it. I want you to remember, those of you that were here last week, the sum of that message was that the Holy Spirit backs us up, doesn't he? That the Holy Spirit, when we are in conflict because of living the Jesus way, the Holy Spirit gives us what we need in crisis. And I want you to think about that because sometimes when we respond to crisis, we don't respond with any kind of Jesus-y thinking, do we? Like the Jesus way is the last thing on our mind. And that's normal. Our instincts go to this fight or, fight or flight Response, our instincts take us into, into just reacting to the situation, but as Jesus becomes the leader of our lives, our reaction should be different. And we can begin to trust that his spirit has the resources that we need. And what we looked at last week was the fact that Jesus has healing for us. The Holy Spirit can heal us at the right moment in this life or in eternity. The Holy Spirit has the right moment to heal us. We don't always like the moment that he chooses, but he knows the best possible moment. The Holy Spirit has courage for us when we're afraid, and fear is one of the natural byproducts of any kind of conflict, isn't it? The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom when we don't know what to do. And I'll be the first to say that often in my life I'm in situations where I have no idea what to do, and I'm like, Lord, you, you've got to help me out here. And he does. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say when we don't know what to say. And some of us say a lot of words and some of us say a few, but none of us know the words to say when we're in a conflict situation. We need the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the actions to take. We see that lived out in the disciples in the early church, that in the midst of conflict, Peter and John, they were more courageous than we'd seen them in the Gospels. They had the right words to say instead of the stupid words to say that they said in the Gospels. They knew what actions to take. They were a source of healing to people around them. They were bold and courageous and wise and full of good words, all of these things that they were not when they were on their own without the Holy Spirit. So do you know what that means for me and you? There's hope for us. There's hope for us. If it worked for Peter and John, it can work for me and you. And so we, we see them navigating conflict with the help of the Holy Spirit. But here's the frustrating part. Just because the Holy Spirit is with you in conflict doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit ends the conflict. Just because he's with you in the crisis doesn't mean that he ends the crisis. In fact, a lot of times the mini crises in our lives mirror how God has handled the big crisis of human sin in the world. He's been patient and he's thought of everyone and he's doing the best by everyone before he brings an end to the crisis of human sin. Now there's a lot of pain involved in that journey and God has promised to more than make up the pain for those that are faithful to him and come back to him, there's reward in store for those of us that join the journey of Jesus and navigate this broken world in the Jesus way. It doesn't change the fact that some days I'm like, Lord, could you just could you pick today to wrap this whole thing up? And and let's let's hurry up to the heaven part, the part where there's no pain and there's no tears and there's no regrets and there's can we get to that part, please? And I think Jesus has great compassion for that prayer. In fact, scripture says that that's a great prayer to pray. But God has a purpose in our crisis, which means that we need to know how to navigate crisis. We need to know how to flourish in the face of fear. And that's the amazing thing that God does. Counterintuitive to the way that we think about our lives, God does not need brokenness to end in order to bring blessing in it. 
We think until the pain stops, nothing good can come of this. And God says, actually, I'm so great, I can bring something more good than you can imagine in the midst of your pain, and it will make it worth it. And often, from our point of view, we're like, God, there's nothing you could do that would make this pain worth it. Right, when we lose a loved one, when we're abandoned by someone, when our dreams, the things that we have come up with as the best option for our life is falling apart, when our best efforts just are not good enough, it is almost impossible for us to believe that there could be something so good that God could make that worth it. And yet the promise of Jesus throughout scripture is, take me up on the challenge. Trust me, put your crisis in my hands and see what I will do. I will make it worth it. I will make it worth it. But often in the journey of faith, that means that the crisis doesn't end immediately. God proves himself in the midst of our crises. And so the challenge for us as people of faith in the midst of crisis is to not allow fear to overtake us. It's to not allow fear to overtake us. It's to keep trusting that God will bring flourishing in the midst of our worst moments. And so let's pick up where we left off in Acts chapter four and look at how the disciples flourished in the face of fear. And I think that the same things that worked for them will also work for us. I'm pretty confident because I've been working on that in my own life and so far God's track record is pretty darn good. Let's pick up in Acts chapter four, verse 19. At the very end of the interaction between Peter and John and the religious leaders, it ends like this. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard concerning Jesus, right? Verse 21, the council then is in a pickle. It says, then they threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Incredible miracle, very public miracle. And it was this miracle that had drawn a crowd. The crowd said, this is a good thing. Why would anyone think this is a bad thing? which is true, and often the crowd thinks that when Jesus does miracles, and this crowd is creating a problem for the religious leaders because they want to punish Peter and John. Why? Because they did a great healing miracle? No, because they gave the credit to Jesus. People don't mind all the good deeds that you do until you give the credit to Jesus. And the minute that you say, this wasn't me, it was Jesus. It's not because of me, it's Jesus. It's not for me, it's Jesus. It's because Jesus changed my heart, changed my attitude, changed my perspective, changed my life. That's when everyone's like, nope, no, no, no. Don't tell me Jesus set you free from addiction. Tell me about your rehab process. Don't tell me that Jesus changed your character. Tell me about your self-help plan. Tell me about your positive thinking. Tell me about what you did to improve your, I wanna know that it's by human power, not by God's power. Why is the world always so resistant? Because we hate the idea that we would need God. We don't like it. And I'll just confess to you, there's sometimes I don't like that I need God. It's not like all evil people just think this way. It's we all tend to think this way. There's parts of our lives where we just wish we didn't need God. And God is just standing there like a loving parent watching his kids try to do what they think they should be able to do on their own without a parent's help. And he's like, let, let me know when you want my help. <laughs> Which if you've ever been like a teenage son and you know your dad's watching and you know he could help you, there's nothing you would rather not do than ask your dad for help, right? Right? And that's us with our Heavenly Father sometimes. That's us. We're like, I am not going to admit to Dad right now that I need his help. I am good enough on my own. And what does a humble, wise person do? They're like, I need help. Can you show me? Show me how to do this. Show me how to get better at this. And so Peter and John are in this situation with the council where they're getting let go but do you think they walk away with good feelings? Like are Peter and John, if they're smart, do they walk away and they're like, we got away, we're free, everything's good now. No, 
They know they only got away because there were witnesses and the council couldn't do what they really wanted to do. Right? Do you think the council's like, I'm sure they, they learned their lesson. They won't talk about Jesus anymore. No, the council's frustrated. They didn't get to do what they wanted to do. They had the same dilemma with Jesus. That's why he was arrested in the middle of the night. Which, by the way, these two disciples were there for. So what do you think they're walking away with? They're like, we're probably not gonna make it through the night. This is what happened with Jesus. He got challenged in the temple for doing and saying good things. They couldn't arrest him because the crowd was in favor. And so they sent a gang at night to go arrest him. And three days later, or two, two days later, we saw him crucified. Peter and John know how these people work. They didn't walk away with just like, you know, there wasn't hugs and like, okay, okay, you guys run along. No more Jesus talk. We love you though. No, there wasn't any of that. There was no reconciliation here. There was just crisis, unresolved conflict. And how many of us have ever had some unresolved conflict in our life and everybody raises their hand, right? And don't you hate that? And sometimes the conflict is unresolved because though you're willing, they are not, right? You've made the phone calls, you've tried to have the conversation and they're unwilling to go there. Sometimes the conflict's unresolved because you're not ready to go there because there's a right time and a place to resolve conflict. Here's the thing though, every time there's conflict, there's angst, there's, there's agony, there's fear of what will happen as a result and the disciples are in one of these situations and I, I want you to remember that doing what God wants you to do won't always feel good. Doing what God has called you to do, living the Jesus way won't always feel good. When you live the Jesus way in a broken world, it means at times you're gonna say the unpopular thing. Hopefully you say it in the Jesus way, in love, in kindness, in gentleness, but there are times when you're gonna say the unpopular thing. There are times when you are going to do the unpopular thing. And Pastor Susie, Pastor Darren gave great examples of that this last week. But the question is, when that happens and we feel that angst, we feel that fear, we feel that like, how are people gonna treat me now? Or what's gonna happen next? Or, and, and, and is it fear of actual punishment like the disciples or fear of social challenges, which is often the case in our environment? How do we flourish in those circumstances? And we see over the next couple of responses, what do the disciples do as they walk away from death threats? It says in verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Which, do you remember what they said? Basically, don't talk about Jesus or we're gonna kill you. That's the short version. Verse 24, when they heard the report, all of the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Let's stop there. Because that's the first way that we flourish in the face of fear. That when we sense fear, when you sense anxiety rising inside of you because of conflict or situation or whatever the case may be, your reaction as a Jesus follower should be to run to prayer. To run to prayer. Now, Peter and John, they had a chance to skip town. They had a chance to go into hiding. They had a chance to start a revolution. They could have chosen all these different reactions. But what did they do? They went to church and the church prayed. They went to church and they ran to God in prayer. And what is the tone of their prayer? Their prayer is reminding themselves of who is in charge. Oh, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means you're bigger than them. Oh, sovereign Lord, the creator of all of this stuff. You're bigger than them. You control the sea and the sky and everything in them. You are bigger than this problem in front of me. And we have to be people that whenever we face crisis, we need to run to God in prayer. I don't know what, what your finances are like or what your family's like or what your job is like, but between just those common categories of life, I find that I'm always afraid of something bad happening. There's always something looming out there to bring crisis. And so often I go into like my, my Caleb capabilities. How can Caleb solve this problem? And often we're pretty good at solving a lot of our problems. Sometimes that's our worst enemy. 
But there are always problems we can't solve, no matter how capable we are. And I found that we are meant to respond like the early church responded. We are to run to God first in prayer. Peter and John didn't develop an escape strategy and then pray. They didn't organize a rebellion and then pray. They didn't go write their next sermon and then pray. They prayed first. They ran to God in prayer. And I'll tell you what, when I've really been scared, I've done this and it's worked out well. You know, I was really scared. The week after I asked my wife to marry me, I was like, what did I do? (laughs) Not because of her, because of me. I was like, this is my whole life. I'm 22 and I'm committing my whole life like I just asked a woman to live her whole life with me. What do I do with this? And I called my dad and I was like, hey dad, did I do the wrong thing? And you know, his best answer would have just been no. No, you didn't. But I think what he said is, well, it sounds like you need to pray about it. So I prayed. And I fasted. And obviously, the rest so far is history, right? We're, we're, we're going strong, right? God's been good, and, and he's allowed us to be faithful. I remember when I first uh, w- was going to step into relationship with Jeanette, and we were talking about the significance of this. We were trying to do it the Jesus way. And before I, I committed to dating her, I was like, this is serious stuff. Like, I need to not screw this up like I've screwed up all the other relationships I've been in. So I prayed and I fasted. I was scared of what I was capable of doing to damage other people and to damage myself. When I, this, right after our one year anniversary, when we had agreed we were not ready to be parents yet, I was getting in a 12 passenger van full of high school students to go to winter camp. I get a call from Jeanette and I'm like, why is she calling right now? She knows I'm about to go to winter camp. Must be important. I answer the phone. I had one leg in this van because there's screaming students in the van. And she says, hey, we're pregnant. (laughs) Which like guys, we're a little slow. Sometimes we think like my first thought was like we talked about this. Like this is, we're not... (laughs) We're not doing this yet. (laughs) Sharp learning curve. Sharp. (laughs) Needless to say, that's a whole other story, but I started praying and fasting after that winter camp. Right? I prayed and fasted for three weeks. Why? Because my one year of marriage taught me that I was really bad at it. And if I was that bad at marriage, I was sure to be that bad at being a dad. So I prayed and I fasted, right? There have been moments in leading this church where I've recognized I need more than what I have to do, and I've prayed and I've fasted. I'm gonna talk about this a little bit tonight at the pursuit night, but over the next 21 days, I'm gonna be praying and fasting. I'm gonna invite you to join me in that if you want to. I hate fasting, but you know what I hate even more? Facing crisis on my own. Facing, and, and don't worry, there's, this is good change, but I want to do it right. I want to navigate it right. And I need more than what I have to offer. And so can I just challenge you, Sound Life Church, to be people that run to God in prayer? And if here's a good way to do it. If in doubt, pray about it. If in doubt, pray about it. Like if you're not sure, or if you're even completely 100% confident you have the right answer, you actually should be more scared And you should pray and make sure you have the right answer. It doesn't mean you have to hesitate. It doesn't mean you can't make quick decisions sometimes, but you can always pray first. You can always pray first. Peter and John knew the situation wasn't over and they ran to God in prayer. But let's look at what kind of prayer they prayed. Because we can pray all kinds of things. And you know, if you've ever led, like like in kids' church, if you've ever led a group of elementary kids in prayer, You hear all sorts of crazy things being prayed for, right? Like I'm praying for my cat's toenail and I'm praying for my grandma to go with her old hair color because I don't like her new hair color. And I'm praying for, you know, like kids, you're like, wow, please don't say this out loud outside of this prayer circle because that's weird. But do you know what I found? Adults are more sophisticated, but we pray for just as random things sometimes. I think sometimes God's like, "Did, did you... 
do you really want me to do that? Like, if you had my perspective, you wouldn't want me to do that. So we have to be careful how we pray. And look how they prayed in verse 25. It says, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. So he's quoting scripture. Good way to pray, by the way. Our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. This is Psalm 2 he's quoting. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants. What? What are they about to ask for? Great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's a prayer right there. And we need to learn to pray like that. First of all, pray scripture. That's always a good starting point to prayer. Pray scripture. If you're praying the word of God, you know God's on board. You know God is with you. So that means you usually have to read some scripture. It's even better if you memorize some scripture. There are few things more powerful in your spiritual tool belt than memorizing verses of scripture. And I don't like doing that either. You know, most of the things I should do, I don't like doing. But I have found that there's all sorts of other things I work hard at, I train at, I, I study at because I care about them. And if I care about living a life according to the Jesus way, I will absorb scripture into my life because it informs how I'm supposed to live. So memorize some scripture and pray it. Pray it, personalize it, pray it. But they prayed Psalm 2, which was about the rebellion of humanity against God. And it, it talked about that ever since sin entered the world until Jesus returns, that humanity will always work towards uniting against God, except where the followers of God say there's another way. And, and scripture tells us that at the end of human history, before Jesus returns, this will happen again. There have been moments in history where many nations have united against the people of God, against the Jews, against Christians. And they say, this is even happening right now. They pray this in their prayer. They're like, God, we recognize what's happening right now. We see your word happening. We see that the Jewish King Herod, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, and all the Gentiles and all the Jews, so all the people that normally hate each other, they actually got together to hate you more, to kill Jesus. And they said, but, but God, you had a plan all along and they stepped right into your trap. You had planned that Jesus would die. Why? Because you love them so much. There needed to be a sacrifice for their sins and you allowed their evil to result in your heart for good being poured out for humanity in the blood of Jesus. They recognize what God has been doing in history. And so then they apply all of this to their moment right now. They say, oh, so God, we need you right now. And what do they not pray? They don't pray, so God, would you grind these leaders into the dust and show them who's boss? Nope, not the Jesus way. Sometimes I wanna pray prayers like that about certain people. You watch the news, you're gonna wanna pray prayers like that about certain people, right? But that's not the Jesus way. No, they don't pray just evil on those people. What else do they pray? Do they pray, God, put us in charge, help us with a revolution where we are the political power, where we are the authorities in our nation? Nope, nope, they didn't pray that one either. What did they pray? They, they prayed, God, would you first of all simply give us courage to do what we're supposed to do? Would you give us boldness to say what we are supposed to say and do what we are supposed to do? Help us to live the Jesus way because the temperature just got turned up and it's harder today than it was yesterday. You ever have those seasons where you're like, yesterday it was easier to be a Christian than it is today. Yesterday it was easier to act like I was supposed to than it is today. The circumstances changed and it just got harder. So they say, God, give us courage. 
Secondly, they say, God, would you also stretch out your hand with healing power and do miracles to glorify the name of Jesus? So do they pray, God, uh, make me rich, make me comfortable, give me everything I want, and make all the bad people go away. Nope. Nope. That's okay to pray those things if you're still sitting in an elementary church small group. Right? But if we're going to be big people that live the Jesus way, we have to learn to pray big people prayers. And big people prayers recognize that there is a bigger situation going on than just how I feel in the moment. Right? And this is hard for Christians in our culture because we have been trained. If you're my age or younger, you've been trained since birth that everything is about how you feel. Everything is dictated by how you feel, which is a horrible slavery to live under, by the way. If we live according to our feelings, that is a horrible slavery to live under. Our feelings are meant to be healthy byproducts and part of the experience of God's grace in our lives. They are not meant to dictate the journey of our life. And so we have to pray for things that matter. We have to pray for things that will matter not just in the next few days, but things that will matter in eternity. Things that will matter when we get to the end of our life and we look back. Things that will matter five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 1,000 years from now. Pray for those things. We don't pray for things just to be easy. We pray for them to be meaningful in eternity. We pray for them to be meaningful in eternity. That means, God, help me to live today in a way that I will get a reward forever, not a reward for five minutes, right? Pray, pray in a way that says, God, will you equip me to be a spiritual champion in this moment so that for eternity I can be glad of what I said and did, not for the next five minutes feel warm and fuzzy inside. Right? Will you help me to say and do the right things in this situation so that my children will want to live for you? Will you help me to say and do the right things so that even my coworkers that may not want to hear about religion see a glimpse of the real Jesus in my life? Will you do something in me that actually brings real change to my society and my world because they desperately need it? Will you do something in me and those kinds of prayers are not prayers for God make me comfortable. And don't get me wrong, I like to be comfortable. I have a favorite chair in my favorite room of the house, my favorite view out the window, and my favorite thing to do is to sit in my comfy chair with a hot cup of coffee and look out the window and have nothing on my to-do list. I wish I could do that all the time. <laughs> and I don't get to do that very much of the time. Right? because there's always something more important to do than me to sit on my backside and drink more caffeine, right? We need to understand that our prayers are about pointing people to the Jesus way. The Jesus way is about pointing people to Jesus, right? So we have to pray for things that will have an eternal impact. Either, Lord, help me to live up to your glory and your rewards for me, and help me to live in such a way that will point other people to your glory. If you are chasing your feelings, you are a slave. You are a slave. You are the worst version of yourself. And you know it. I know it too. I, I slip into that on an almost daily basis where I start chasing some feeling. Worst. It's the worst. But when I stay in this place of prayer where I'm like, God, help me to live according to your will, it's great. But we start with prayer, and that prayer is always a precursor to action. It's a precursor to action. It's, prayer is not an excuse to not take action. And action without prayer is sometimes dangerous. But prayer is a precursor to action. We see in verse 31, after this prayer, I love this, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. And can I tell you, when you are living the way you are meant to live and you are doing what you are meant to do, verse 31 in different ways, shapes, and forms, will be your reality. How? Verse 31, you see that after they prayer, prayed a very biblical, God-centered, eternally valuable prayer, God showed up. Now in that time, his presence shook the place. 
And I'm not sure if I want that to happen at Sound Life Church or not. It probably bases on whether our insurance would cover the damage to our foundation. But it's probably worth it, right? Because when God testifies to his presence, we suddenly aren't afraid anymore. When God's presence shows up, have you noticed that? You can walk into church so stressed out about what's after church, what happened before church, what happened in the car on the way to church. I know how that goes. (laughs) But when you feel God's presence, you're like, God, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I don't know how, but you're good. It's going to be okay. Right? That's what God did. He showed him. It's going to be okay. It was God's presence showing up as a confirmation that said, your prayers are on the right track. Yes, you're still in crisis. Yes, right after this prayer meeting, those guys might hunt you down, but I am with you. And when he's with you, you know, when you sense God's presence, you're like, I can handle it all. I can handle it all. Right, And God will testify to his presence in your life when you live and pray the Jesus way. But it says, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's good stuff. That means that you don't walk out of here like, well, I, that Jesus presence, that was kind of a nice little little feeling for a little while. No, you walk full of the Holy Spirit and and we need to walk into our workplaces full of the Holy Spirit, ready with the character and the power and the passion of Jesus to love people the way they were meant to be loved, to speak truth even when it's not popular. Right, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit and then what did they do? They preached the word of God with boldness, with courage, I don't know if it was loud or quiet. I don't know if people listened or ignored them. I don't know all of the results for all of the people, but what I do know is that they preached the word of God courageously. They sensed the Holy Spirit and they followed suit. And that is the second way that we flourish in the face of fear. We speak the gospel. We let the good news of Jesus come out of our mouth, that everywhere we go, we speak the good news. And can I tell you right there, that is where the battle is won or lost. That is where the battle for souls is won or lost. That is why everything in this world opposes you speaking about Jesus. That's why the main thing that the religious leaders wanted for them is stop talking about Jesus. Stop giving Jesus credit. Stop pointing to Jesus as the reason for all the good things that are happening. Do whatever you want to do, but don't talk about Jesus anymore. Do you ever feel like something's saying that to you? Sometimes in settings where no human being is saying that to you, you just feel like, oh, that'd be awkward. It'd be weird. I can't talk about Jesus. I can't. And you know, that's a lack of the Holy Spirit problem. That's a lack of being full. I've felt it. Happens to me all the time. Where I'm like, this would be a good opportunity. Oh, I, uh, uh. Do you know what I should be doing? Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. Give me the boldness. Give me the courage. Here I go. Speak the good news. Speak the gospel. If you sound like an idiot talking about Jesus, that's better than being silent about Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things in life that are worth being silent about. But don't be silent about Jesus. Jesus loves you. He is the chance for you to find flourishing and he's the chance for the world to find flourishing. And he is the one, he is the one who shows us who we were meant to be. He is the one who leads us to restoration of everything that is broken inside of us. And if we love anyone around us, we will point them to Jesus. So speak the gospel of Jesus. Declare to yourself, you know, if you don't have anybody to share the gospel with, you're like, I work from home, I don't see anybody except when I go to church, I have no friends, I have no family. First of all, I'll give you a hug after church. But second of all, Darren will hug you at Ording, Terry and Traditions, online, you're just gonna have to hug yourself. Um, but here's, here's the deal, sometimes you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Sometimes you need to stand in the mirror and be like, you know what, God's with you today, buddy. God loves you today. God has not given up on you, so you don't get to give up on yourself. Jesus lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He's sitting in heaven praying for you. He poured out a spirit on you. So live like it today, Caleb Bryant. 
And then you got to listen to yourself. But you need to speak the gospel, talk about, declare that God is faithful and powerful and do it in your personality. The Holy Spirit wants to fill your personality, redeem your personality, not change your personality. Preaching the gospel looks like a whole lot of different things, but allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into it. And that truth, that truth of the gospel will lead to more action. And I wanna close with how the disciples responded. I want you to see this response in light of the crisis they are facing. They are at odds with the same people that they watched kill Jesus. They prayed, they declared the gospel, and then they go and do this. All the believers were united in heart in mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was on them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Do you know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like Acts 2, 42 through 47, when the church was not in crisis. That's the first thing it sounds like. It sounds like they still were the church in crisis that they were before crisis. And you should be the same person full of joy and peace and love and praise in crisis that you are pre-crisis. That's not because it's easy. They had to pray their way there. They had to preach their way there. But they knew the destination was still the same. We are going to be the reality of heaven here right in the midst of this brokenness. We are not going to tolerate brokenness. We are going to be as heavenly as we can be right here in this crisis. And so what did they do? And this is the third piece. This is the third piece of flourishing in the face of fear. They loved like nobody loved. They loved with abandon. They loved without worrying about the risk. They loved with generosity and hospitality. That means they opened their homes, they opened their pocketbooks, they opened their 401ks regardless of penalties, and they did whatever generous thing they could come to mind. Now this is not a message about money, but often what you do with your money and your home is indicative of what's happening in your heart. That's all through scripture. And these brand new Christians who are still trying to figure out, they're not as experienced as the apostles. They're trying to figure out how to live this life. And you know the first step is always, Lord, what I do have, I give to you. And they didn't, they didn't sit down and they're like, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I, God is putting something on my heart, but I gotta go talk to my financial planner first. God's putting something on my heart, but I gotta make sure that I'm gonna be okay when I'm 70. So I, I gotta check that out first. And that's no shade on, on retirement plans and being smart with your money. In general, you should be very wise with your money. You should be very wise with who you allow into your home. All those things are true. But do you know what's more true? By our standards, it was stupid for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. Dumbest thing God could have ever done. Humiliating to him. To come and live among the people that rejected him? What was he thinking? By our standards, Jesus allowing himself to be killed for people that had rejected him? Stupid. What was Jesus thinking? What a poor investment of his life. Or was it? Because he was investing his life in you and me. What if Christians were known for loving with abandon like this, loving radically like this. Do you know what loving with abandon? Kyle asked me this week, he's like, I've never heard that phrase before. What does that even mean? I was like, oh, that's a great question. I should probably answer that. You know what loving with abandon? I thought about it this week. Loving with abandon means that you love in action without worrying about the consequences. You do a good thing without worrying about the consequences. You love someone that you're not sure if that love is gonna be taken advantage of. 
You love someone in a way that's probably going to cost you, actually. You know it's probably going to cost you. It's going to hurt somewhere in the budget. It's going to hurt somewhere in, in your social life. But it's, it's you love. You want to love more than you want to protect. You want to love more than you want to stake out your territory. You want to love more than you want to guarantee your personal comfort. Now, again, I'm not saying don't use wisdom if you're new at this, it's good to have a spiritual mentor in your life that's kind of like, yeah, that's, that sounds like the Holy Spirit prompting you to be generous, prompting you to be hospitable. It's good to be in relationships like that. Your growth group's a great opportunity to talk about that. All those types of things. But here's the deal. We need to stop being so guarded, so, so American, this is mine and not yours. So American, it's all about me. So American, I'm going to store up and I'm going to have this and this and this by the time I'm this old, this old, and this old. Do you know what the Bible says? Hey, store up all that treasure in your barns and in your banks. And when you die tomorrow because you don't know how long you have to live and breathe, you're going to look like an idiot. Jesus looked like an idiot until he rose from the dead. And you may live the Jesus way and occasionally look a little bit foolish until you rise from the dead. And Jesus is giving you a high five and he's like, you got some treasure over there, you should go check that out. You should go check that out. Sound like church. I don't care if you're rich and poor in this world, but I sure hope I sure hope that you are rich in the things of heaven. Jesus tells this parable that I think illustrates loving with abandon in Matthew 25. I'm not gonna read the whole thing for the sake of time, but I wanna end with this. In Matthew 25, he tells this parable, and there's a couple of them in there, but he tells this parable about the end time judgment, the judgment that we will all stand in. And it says that he separates everybody into two groups. For the sake of the parable, he calls one group the sheep and one group the goats. I don't know why goats are a bad thing, but like you'd think sheep and serpents or something. But anyway, sheep and goats. And he turns to the first group, the sheep, and he says, you know what? He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I didn't have clothes to wear, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you didn't run from me, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And because you did all those things for me, I've done some things for you. Come and see your reward. And the amazing thing is they said, Jesus, uh, first of all, thank you. They didn't say that, but you, they thought it, I'm sure. First of all, thank you. But second of all, we don't, we don't remember seeing you. Like when did we feed you? give you a drink, help you when you were sick, like clothe you? When did we take care of all these needs for you? And Jesus said to them, he said this in Matthew 25, 40, he said, the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you did it to someone who has less than you, in whatever category you do it to Jesus, Ooh, man, I had to spend some time in prayer about that this week. Because do you know the rest of the stories? He then turns to the other group and he says, hey, some of you were pretty religious, some of you weren't. But do you know the true test of your heart was shown to me because when I was hungry, you didn't share your food. When I was thirsty, you didn't have any water to share. When I didn't have enough clothes, you kept all yours. When I was sick, you didn't take care of me, you ran from me. And when I was in prison unjustly, you didn't care. And so he literally says this, he says, so now you can go to your place that was prepared for the devil and his demons because you didn't want anything to do with me. Jesus has prepared a just punishment for the devil and the demons that harass us he died to save us from that punishment. But when we refuse to love like Jesus loved, when we refuse to live like Jesus lived, we show Jesus we don't really want that cross that we drank communion about. We don't really want to live under his authority. And there's nowhere else for us to go than with the devil and his demons. Oh, it's just 
And Jesus is spending history being merciful, trying to help us avoid that. But church, if we're going to flourish in the face of fear, we have to run to prayer. We have to speak the gospel out loud. And then we prove that we believe those two things by loving with abandon. And I see a community here that's not living according to fear. They're living in a freedom that most of us know nothing about. But what if we did? Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you across Sound Life Church campuses and venues, just a family across multiple churches, and Lord, we just start the way that the gospel tells us to start. We start by repenting, because all of us have failed at times to love the way you've loved. I have. I'll be the first to say I've often loved myself more than anybody else. I've often trusted myself rather than running to you in prayer. I've often spoke of my own glory and for my own glory rather than spoken the good news of Jesus. So Father, for me and for those in my family where we have done you that wrong and done that wrong to the world around us, Father, would you forgive us? I know that you do because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But Father, would you also do in us and do in Sound Life Church what you did in that early church. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to turn us from foolish to wise, from fearful to courageous, from hopeless to hopeful, from stingy to generous, from selfish to hospitable. Would you transform us, Father? Lord, we know that our nation desperately needs you, our world desperately needs you, and you have chosen us for this time. You've chosen us to be your church, but we can't be it without your Holy Spirit filling us and transforming us like you did with Peter and John in that early church. So, Father, would you fill us with your spirit? Fill us in your, with your spirit in this moment. Fill us again as we get in our cars. Fill us again as we walk through this community and the stores and the places that we go. Fill us again as we walk into our workplaces tomorrow. Fill us again as we have dinner with family and roommates and friends. Fill us with your spirit so that we might speak the gospel with boldness and love with abandon like you did. You are our king. We want to love people like we would say we would want to love you. So Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.